Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Dr. Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Monday, January 29th, 2018, and here we are. All right, so today's topic is forbidden, oh, I'm sorry, today's topic is uh, your thoughts and how they can heal you and how they can make you sick. So we're going to talk about that today. I want to remind people that I can be found on Facebook. Yes. We are also live on Facebook. And it's facebook.com forward slash healing dash with dash dr dash Daniels. Uh, and a bunch of numbers, but... Uh, the healing with Dr. Daniels should get you there. All right. Now you know way back in the uh, in the old days when I was in medical school, we were led to believe that medicine and health was a totally scientific matter. You could just uh, do this test, do that test, and that pretty much determined what the person had and um, what their uh, what their prognosis was. So if you did a test, you could say to that person, yep, what you got. Well, one year will be like this, and five years will be like that, and take this medicine the rest of your life, and then, well, then you'll die. So um, it's not quite that simple. What we're going to talk about today is different um, outcomes and with people's uh, thoughts, how those thoughts have led to different outcomes when objectively the condition, the symptoms, uh, the diagnose, diagnosis, even the prognosis was uh, no different. So that's what we're going to talk about. And as soon as I find my notes, we'll be in business here. Um, 
So let's take one case. And this actually happened to me personally, so I can share my personal story. I had abdominal pain. And the week before I had this abdominal pain, my sister had made up her mind that she was going to make uh, eggplant parmesan. Those of you who know anything about that recipe, well, you've got to fry, deep fry, very slender slices of breaded eggplant. And so that's what she did. Now, of course, I was very busy and I was working, and so I had no time to cook for myself, so I'd just stop by her house and eat deep fried eggplant. And each day she'd fry more deep fried eggplant because, of course, I ate everything she needed to make her eggplant parmesan. This went on for four or five days, and I developed a slow, mild, nagging stomach ache. And it got worse and worse and worse. Finally, I started bloating up, and then I uh, canceled the patients for the rest of that day. I went home and laid down. I thought about this. I said, hmm, this feels a lot like a bowel obstruction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I had this terrible pain in my abdomen, this kind of cramping pain. I said, that must, might probably a bowel obstruction. So I call up a buddy, drives him to the hospital, and sure enough, x-rays show it's a bowel obstruction. The surgeon says, oh, we've got to do surgery, and we're going to open you up, but of course, they can wait till morning. And um, I had surgery the next morning. And that afternoon, I was anxious to find out, well, oh, my gosh, what caused this obstruction? You know, what, uh, what was it? How could it be prevented the next time? So a surgeon comes to see me. He says, well, I think you'll do fine. I said, well, what, what was in there? What did you find? He says, well, I found some clothesline adhesion. I said, clothesline adhesion? Wait a minute. I know what those are. Clothesline adhesions, those are thin little flimsy strings that are kind of like a spider's cobweb, and that would not be enough to cause a bowel obstruction. So you were telling me you didn't find anything wrong? He says, well, uh, <clears throat> no, I didn't find anything wrong. And he said, but since I was in there, I took out your appendix, and that way at least your appendix won't bother you. I said, so you didn't find anything wrong? He says, no, no. And so I was very unsatisfied with that, but I realized in that moment that I had referred a lot of people with bowel obstruction to get surgery. And I realized that what I had just had was totally unnecessary surgery. He did nothing at all that would have relieved any abdominal pain. Okay, so what happened in that situation? Yes, I had abdominal pain. Yes, I had a bowel obstruction. But I had the belief, the belief that Going to the emergency room would be beneficial. I had the belief that the surgeon was going to help me. And because of that belief, I had surgery, and I was totally disabled and unable to work for eight full weeks due to the abdominal pain from the surgery, not from my initial condition. So fast forward to 2018, and uh, I'm sitting in India, and a good friend of mine sends me this message in my cell phone and says, I think it's serious. I think this is serious. I hope you can help. I said, oh, my God, what could it be? So I call him up, and he tells me his symptoms, exactly the same symptoms that I had, only his symptoms were preceded by a whole week of festivities filled with fried food three times a day. And so what had happened was he, of course, had a bowel obstruction. And so he said, what should I do? I said, whatever you do, do not go to the emergency room and do not go to the hospital. If you sit still at home with this, it will hurt, but 
drink water, sip, 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 and um, it will pass in about four days. If you go to the hospital, they will do surgery, and, it will, and you will have pain for at least eight weeks, and you will be on your back. He says, okay, okay, okay. And so he uh, followed those instructions, and after five days, the pain had subsided to the point where he was able to drive and leave the house and resume all of his normal activities. Now, what was the difference there? Like me, oh, oh, he went on the Internet. He did some research. He found out that he either had appendicitis or he had a bowel obstruction. And so the difference between our two beliefs was, one, we both believed we had a serious problem, which actually, it was a serious problem. Had he ignored it and kept eating fried food for about three more days, it would have been a, a, a total disaster. But he had the belief that he could call and get some help, which I had the same belief. I made a phone call. I called a friend. He called a friend. My friend said, I'll take you to the emergency room. His friend said, oh, my God, don't go. And so his belief that he could sit this out meant that he was healthy and back to full activity in five days instead of eight weeks. It meant that he didn't have a surgical scar. It meant that he didn't have to spend several thousand dollars in medical bills. And so in this case, you have two people, exact same condition, exact same symptoms, but because they had different beliefs, the outcome vastly, vastly different. And now he had another belief. He believed, as he's eating all his fried food, these were his friends, of course, who were feeding him, and that they were demonstrating for him their, uh, their friendship, their affection, their kindness, and, of course, to refuse their food would have been to refuse their friendship, affection, and kindness. <laughs> so he's now resolved that he's going to uh, find more tactful ways to communicate. And so this is an example of two people, same condition, different beliefs, different outcomes. All right. Let's take another example. All right, so uh, my mother, favorite, favorite example. My mother, of course, is the mother of a doctor, just by the way. So back in 08, as I was on the way out the country, my mother had these two ulcers on her leg, two ulcers, about the size, smaller than a dime, but they were like an inch or two apart. And... Um, I said, okay, Mom, you know, I'm heading out of town or out of the country. I uh, don't think I'll be back for a while. Uh, but, uh, you know, put some, uh, put some A&D ointment on there and maybe a little bit of turpentine, and uh, it should do okay. And so off I went uh, to seek my fortune, suppose it was, or just freedom, really, overseas. And Mom's uh, one ulcer healed up, and the other one just kind of festered. And in 2018, around the middle of 2018, mom decided that uh, she would go see a doctor about this. And she went to see a doctor, the wound clinic. And once she went to see a doctor, we sent her to the wound clinic. Now, as a practicing doctor, I had sent many people to the wound clinic, and no one's wound ever got better. Never, never, never. And so when mom went to the wound clinic, the wound clinic said, oh, Miss Daniel. You have to clean this ulcer very, very well twice a day 
and then put on um, whatever ointment. Okay, so she does that. And the one ulcer she has grows and grows and grows to a size of about 12 by 12 centimeters. It's a pretty big size. And so I find out about this when my daughter goes there to visit. She says, oh, my God, Grandma's ulcer is huge. And sure enough, it's huge. Uh, and then, of course, the balloon clinic sends her to the vascular surgeon who does an x-ray and tells her, oh, Mrs. Daniels, you had a car accident 30 years ago, and that's because this terrible ulcer that you have, and um, you don't have a blood supply to the ulcer, and you need surgery. Well, at that point, I rated a phone call. And so I said, look, Mom, the car accident was 30 years ago. You didn't have a problem with this ulcer growing until six months ago when you started going to the wound clinic. I think the stuff they're telling you to do with the wound clinic is making it grow. Stop doing anything at all for the ulcer. You can put a little silvadine ointment on it. For those of you who don't know, it's a cream impregnated with silver. Doctors actually prescribe this, by the way. Um, and by the way, you want to eat some gelatin to help repair the skin and grow it in new skin. And so she does this, and after a mere two weeks, the ulcer shrinks about three centimeters inside. And so what, what happened here? So there's a couple of things going on. So I said, Mom, why did you go to those doctors? I told you not to go to the doctors. Well, you didn't have a license, so I figured I'd go to the doctor. And I got great insurance. And I'm paying for it. I figured I might as well use it. So mom had a lot of beliefs to help this ulcer grow. So this ulcer, less than the size of a dime, call it one centimeter in size, increased to 12 to 14 centimeters in diameter. And so her belief that health insurance would create health, her belief that if you have health insurance, you need to use it. Her belief that somebody with a license was, of course, going to be more helpful than someone without a license contributed to her ulcer growing. So rather than evaluating this on the face of it, so to speak, I go to the doctor, do what he tells me, the ulcer gets bigger, maybe I should stop doing what he tells me. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Enter the belief. And so because of these beliefs, leads her to be a willing participant in uh, her own mutilation. And so now she is eating her gelatin and the ulcer is shrinking and she's not doing anything to it. I said, Mom, Mom, your ulcer is not infected, so there's no need to douse it with disinfectant. Not necessary, not helpful, don't do it. All right. So there is a faith-based ulcer, an ulcer enlarged by faith. Now those... Oh. All right. So um, what would be another uh, example of uh, a faith-based outcome. All right, so I'll use myself as another example. So I was in the Philippines, and I was climbing this mountain. And I was climbing this mountain, and it was going higher and higher 
They were getting pretty steep. Then it started raining, and the rocks were slippery. And, well, I slipped. So I fell off the mountain. I fell about eight feet. So I fell off the mountain, hit the ground. My head hit a rock. I heard this. It wasn't a thud. Honestly, it was a crack. Crack. I said, oh, that's it. I'm dead now. Hit the ground. And, of course, the wind is knocked down on me, so I can't sit up. And I say to myself, oh, that's it. I'm dead. I said, wait, I can't be dead. I'm aware. I said, well, as long as I'm aware of something, let me wiggle my toes. Wiggle my toes, they work. Wiggle my hands, they work. And so I said, oh, man, I wish I could sit up. I couldn't sit up. So my guides, of course, by this time, they gathered around me. They're like, oh, no. I said, look, 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 just lift me up so I can sit up. So lift me up so I can sit up. And then this blood started gushing down the left side of my head. I hear this. And uh, so I said, hmm, must have a leak somewhere. So meanwhile, the head guy at this point had totally lost it. Oh, my God, we've got to get you to the hospital. We've got to get you to the hospital and get you taken care of. I said, no, 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 no. So I said, look, roll up some toilet paper and hand it to me. And so I put the toilet paper in my hand, and I put the toilet paper right against my ear. So I figured out where the blood was coming from. Press there. I said, okay. What are we going to do now? And he says, well, we'll call the rescue team. Look, okay. they call the rescue team. And so the rescue team uh, shows up. While they're showing up, though, I've been applying direct pressure. So by the time the rescue team gets there, uh, the bleeding has stopped. And I have determined that my both hands and both feet are working. And so therefore, and my back doesn't hurt, so must be I didn't break my spine. So they haul me out of there. And still, they're deliberating now. Well, well, they said, well, shouldn't we take you to the hospital to get checked out? I said, no, 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 no. We won't be doing that. So, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, I'm going home. Just take me home. I said, oh, okay. And so then uh, my assistant gets on the phone and says, auntie, auntie, prepare a feast. Dr. Daniels is coming home. She's made it. She's alive. Okay, so what just happened there? What happened was, like many other people, I fell off a mountain. These things happen. But I had a belief, a belief that medical attention wasn't going to help. That's one belief. I had a belief that the emergency room was not a safe place. And I had a belief that the hospital would be even less safe. And so uh, I also had the belief that all I needed to do was stop the bleeding, because what's the hospital going to do? Having been an emergency room doctor, I knew all the doctors do is stop the bleeding and relieve pain. That's it. You're done. And so I'd already stopped my bleeding. And by the time the um, rescue team showed up, I had uh, relieved my headache was gone. And so um, got in the car, went to Auntie's house, and uh, me, the rescue team, and my guide, and family members who were there, we all had a big feast. So if I had a different belief system, let's say I'd gone to the hospital. As an American uh, tourist, who knows? They might have airlifted me out someplace, like the United States of all Who knows? So rather than, instead of going to the emergency room, waiting for several hours, um, being airlifted to the nearest embassy, ruining my whole vacation, and sustaining who knows how many thousands of dollars in charges, instead, I had a feast. And as you can see, I'm in good condition. So simply a person's belief has a profound effect on their medical outcome. And not so much their belief in 
God or not God. Belief in God can help, though, I'll tell you. But their belief that the responsibility for their health lies with them, not with an external source, let's say a doctor or a hospital or a pill. And um, this is a huge difference in variation in belief system. So if you believe that your health lies in a pill, then you could be one of the unlucky 128,000 Americans every year who die as a result of properly prescribed medication. If you believe that your health lies in using a hospital, you could be one of the unlucky 75,000 people every year who die just because they went to a hospital and got an infection. And if you believe that your health lies with medical intervention, let's say a doctor recommending something, then you could be one of the unlucky 150,000 people every year who die just because they followed the doctor's advice. So these beliefs um, shape your future, they shape your health, and they shape your medical outcomes, even given the same medical condition. You have two people, same medical condition, uh, vastly different outcomes, just because of their belief, of this belief that the remedy for an illness lies outside of themselves with a pill, a hospital, or a doctor. And even the medical industrial complex itself uh, has come to the reluctant conclusion that it may indeed be the leading cause of death in the United States. Because when you take into account uh, that the medical industrial complex itself accepts responsibility for upwards of 400,000 deaths every year. These are deaths because people did the right things, the deaths because the doctor did the right thing, gave the right drug and the right dose, admitted the person to the right to the hospital for the right reasons. All the proper protocols were followed. And so these results in more than 400,000 deaths a year. And since there's not a category called death by medicine in the vital statistics, these deaths must necessarily be getting counted as heart attack death, as cancer death, as accidents, and so on. So when you take that you have to subtract 400,000 deaths from those other totals, then that puts the medical industrial complex at the top of the heap with the four, over 400,000 deaths per year. Because the number of cancer deaths, which is 500 and something thousand, gets reduced to below a 400,000 figure. Now, of course, my count, when I took a look at the numbers, came to 880,000. But no matter who's counting, this is the number one cause of death. And this is shocking when you think that people actually buy insurance, they pay insurance premiums every month in order to have access to this method of, of, uh, of death. When AIDS only killed 14,000 people, people a year, and everyone's trying to avoid AIDS. Everyone's rushing to get killed by the medical machine, which kills between 400,000 and 
880,000, depending on whose numbers you want to believe. And then, of course, there's this whole handgun issue, which is guns at all, um, and guns are responsible for 7,000 homicides a year. This, by the way, there's 14,000 homicides a year in the United States, only half of which are caused by guns, this, by the way. So the 7,000 homicides a year caused by guns, everybody wants to regulate guns and make them unavailable because they cause 7,000 deaths a year due to homicides. Well, why doesn't anybody want to shut hospitals down or de-license doctors or close the FDA for approving all these dangerous drugs that are killing so many people? I think that we have to align our beliefs more with the available information as to what's really causing people to die or drop dead. And once this is done, I think people will experience an incredibly improved level of health. And something historically um, we've seen without exception, when doctors go on strike, when emergency rooms are closed, the death rate drops precipitously. Or more to the point, it simply does not go up. So you can certainly establish that all of this so-called care is not medically beneficial. And um, so it's important for people, I think, to realign their beliefs. And if a person resorts to a hospital or an emergency room or a doctor or a pill in their quest for health, what they are really doing is acting totally, 100% out of faith and belief. In other words, it's really a religious system that they are adhering to, not anything underpinned by evidence, proof, or objectivity. Okay, we've got five minutes left, so we have time for a few questions. Let me go check out the chat room. We have a, ah, here's the chat room. Move this over here. <laughs> All right, so let's slide this up. All right, are pigtails as effective as ham hocks? No, they are not. Do you know anything about greens like Egyptian spinach, longevity spinach, and Okinawa spinach? Uh, I need to say it's a bunch of nonsense. If you have, what do you think about eating them for health? Don't waste your time. Eating them versus juicing them for health. Um, so in terms of spinach, the available information for healing is you can just eat the common spinach that grows in the United States and cook it. Um, cooking it appears to be the best way and most nutritious way to eat it. Does Dr. Dennis read the chat here usually? Uh, yes, she does. Okay. <laughs> okay. Dr. Daniels. They definitely would have charged you at least a year's salary just for the emergency airlift. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm telling you, everyone was so excited and happy when I said, no, we're not going to the hospital, we're going home. And it was so exciting when she got on the phone and said, auntie, auntie, prepare a feast. <laughs> and sure enough, when I got home, there was a feast. I'm like, wow. Okay, not posted. Okay. Hey, so people can listen now on Facebook. I put the link uh, in the chat room. So you can listen to me on Facebook uh, for my radio shows. In fact, after this radio show is 3.30, uh, I'll be on WBAI 
uh, in two minutes. So, and, and you can listen to course on Facebook. So it's Facebook Healing with Dr. Dance. It's a totally different topic. Okay. All right, great. I think that is it. Oh, Dr. Downs, yesterday you said the calf liver is better than the liver of other animals. Yes, it is. How about the brain? Um, I would rank calf brain above uh, pig brain and the other brains. I don't know. I don't have ac- I don't have information about those, so I can't say. All right. That is it. We are done for the show. And as always, think happens.